0: mm <music> Hello, and welcome to another episode of Alec Mappa Hot Mess with Matthew Dempsey, psychotherapist. I'm Alec Mappa. I'm an actor and comedian. I live in Hollywood, and I've experienced a great deal of trauma.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And I can't wait to dive into that. I'm Matthew Dempsey, and I'm a multicultural counselor and psychotherapist.
0: We're talking today about um, near-death experiences. Let's jump right in. And I mentioned right before the show that you were hit by a car on Sunset Boulevard, yes. when you first came to Los Angeles.
1: And <laughs> you just got up as
0: if nothing happened.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's true. I did just tell this story not too long ago on our show, but yes, it was on. It was actually Santa Monica and Crescent. And I was just crossing the street, you know, only looking one way. And of course the car was coming from the other way and it just screeched to a halt. Right as I got to turn my head and look at it, and I got flung up onto the car, thrown into the windshield, cracked the entire thing, and rolled off. And uh, I was lucky. Nothing happened. But nothing I was also in a state of shock. <laughs> yeah, nothing. Nothing. I was like, am I dead? I was just standing there, actually. And I was just like, I didn't know what happened. I'm just like, what happened? I'm like, did that just happen? So I didn't know what to do, so I just squatted. <laughs> like, I, just, I was like, this seems like an appropriate action to take right now. I just squatted. Yeah, and then that was it, but I was unfazed. Whenever
0: I'm in a state of shock, I squat immediately. Um. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Do you consider yeah. that a near-death experience? Um, Not entirely, uh, because it didn't, I don't know, it all happened so quickly, I suppose I could have died, so mm. for sure, a mm. near-death experience. It didn't really feel as traumatic for me, but the one thing that I will say is, the way, and this is something that I'm very aware of for myself is that the way that I have coped with maybe not necessarily trauma, but a lot of difficult issues in my life and bullying mm-hmm. and family issues, I, just my automatic tendency that I'm sure I learned at a very early age was how to detach. So in that moment, mm. I'm not surprised that I actually wasn't super phased by the fact that I got hit by a fucking car because yeah. that's 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 my automatic kind of trauma response is to just kind of like freeze.
0: Wow. Well, I, yeah. uh, my, my automatic response is to uh, attach and to take everything personally
1: <laughs> and to. What's an example? Make it
0: all about me. Well, you know, um, well, when you don't text back right away, I'm, I'm, I'm always going, um,
1: it's, um, <laughs> he hates
0: me. Like, I'm, okay. So I went Alex, to you're, this, pro- you're, I went,
1: you're projecting. Sometimes you never respond. <laughs>
0: I know. Sometimes I'm the one who doesn't respond. Um, I'm doing, I just finished filming a pilot and I I texted one of the executive producers who didn't get back to me. And I immediately went Mm -hmm. to, I've been fired. I went, I mm. bypassed. He's not happy with me too. Uh, or I did yeah. something wrong too. I've been fired with absolutely no empirical yes. evidence, but like that's why he hasn't gotten back to me because there's something happening behind the scenes that, you know, that has. And then they told me that the pilot tested well and the audiences really liked me and that I'm insane. Great. But, um, that's yes. me. That is my people pleasing trauma. That is my, um, awfulizing. I do that which uh, the Lexapro sure. takes the yes. edge off of, you know, um, because yep. before before Lexapro, I would just spiral into complete despair. Not only am I fired, right. but I'm never gonna work again, and everybody hates me. Right. But I did have a near-death right. ex, uh, experience in Mexico when I was a kid. Um, what happened? My, we, were, we were in Mazatlan, and um, my sister and I had swam further out than we were supposed to and uh. the tide. Mm -hmm. and at one point the tide came in and it rose higher than we were we were two little kids and my sister was struggling Mm -hmm. and i remember like thinking oh my parents are gonna kill me if something happens to her (laughs) because i'm responsible so i was under the water Mm -hmm. holding her waist up and just trying to walk in (laughs) does that make sense wow
1: trying to to just walk in.
0: And as I was walking in, I was swallowing more and more water. And then another wave came and, and I I kept on pushing her in front of me. And at one point my head bobbed up and my vision changed. I actually saw a fast forward of my life. You know how they say that your life flashes before your eyes. It was like the fastest fast forward of my 10 years on earth earth i don't know what that was i still can't explain it to anybody it is such a um it's such a a a phrase that is just part of the lexicon such a familiar phrase your life Mm -hmm. flashes before your eyes and that actually happened Mm -hmm. but it happened when i was a kid um i've had two times where a car came this close to hitting me oh really when i was crossing hate street when i was in high school i was completely stoned and I wasn't looking and I mm-hmm. walked right into a street and a car screeched out in front of me. <laughs> oh god. Like and stopped, you know, and screeched to a halt. Like it was I would have there was mm-hmm. no, I would have been dead. No, I would not have recovered like Matthew
1: Dempsey at all. Yeah. <laughs> well, and thank god. Another, thank God nothing happened yeah. to you there.
0: Yeah. And then another time I was in London, the same thing. Crossing the street, you know how you look, they drive the wrong way. Yeah. And it just almost hit by a car. My life didn't flash before my eyes in those two things, but they were really things where I could have eaten it. (laughs)
1: Well, listen, you know, thankfully you're doing pretty well in the streets, but in the ocean, it's a different story. But what's interesting about the ocean story too, is that in a moment where there's, you know, this, this kind of like near crisis that's happening, that your immediate response to it was to put your, put your own life in danger and just to make sure that your sister was okay. Because you're also worried, like specifically the thought that was there was, I don't want my parents to be upset with me. It wasn't even automatically like I need to make sure that. My sibling is okay, It's I just don't want my parents to be upset with me, so.
0: Yeah, no, I was completely thinking of myself.
1: <laughs> yes, and then and that then the kind of automatic response of caretaking where you're putting other people's needs ahead of your own, even your own inability to breathe at that time.
0: Right, right. But it's interesting how people take kind of these traumas and it either, I don't know, you know, the near-death things or, or really scary things that happen to us, it's, it's we're, we ha- we're left to process those for the rest of our lives. Like, certainly like yes. my kid's trauma of being in foster care, yep. that's gonna be with him for the rest of his life. All I can do, I can't take that away ever. I can just give him the tools to process it and the space to grieve and right. the space to unpack.
1: That's And that's the biggest thing. That's for any of our issues through life is that we have an opportunity to be able to process through them, to unpack them, be, to become mm-hmm. familiar with them, to have tools to be able to heal in a lot of ways. There's probably always gonna be some remnants of that, like echoes of these things that happen in our lives but we absolutely have an opportunity to be able to make some headway on that stuff, and I think that's the important part because for so long too, we really don't talk about this stuff. This is why I love doing this podcast is because we're actually bringing conversation to some of these things that so many people don't talk about and historically really haven't talked about. Where it's like mm-hmm. if things happen to you, like pick yourself up by your bootstraps and you just march forward. There's no real insight and perspective on what's actually going on in our brains, right? Like it's mm. not just kind of like oh feelings and emotions. It's like no, we're talking about real chemical things that are happening in our brains um, and in our bodies too and being able to have some awareness of the science there and the capacity for neuroplasticity which is the ability for our brains to adjust and and, uh, shift and change like actual new neural pathways that can be carved out so we can have new paths of thought that also impact the way that our bodies function and our experiences and our mood and all that stuff these things are real stuff that we have a chance to, to adjust so that we then can heal. So we don't have to experience these things as traumatically over and over again. Neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity, yes.
0: <laughs> I like the sound of that because my, my, my thing, my childhood trauma was always like, that I'm working on now as in my, going into my 50s, mm-hmm. is, the, um, is the course correction of a gay kid. I have to be perfect. Mm. I have to be amazing. I have to achieve in order to be lovable. That is why my um, affirmation is I'm not so bad, (laughs) 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 that I'm (laughs) worth loving and worth engagement. Well, we're so excited here at the Hot Mess Podcast because we have one of our greatest entertainers um, the world has ever known with us today. We have Miss Judy Garland from the dead. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) We have Miss Coco Peru. Yeah, it was amazing and and we're so excited to talk to her. So, uh we'll be right back with Miss Coco Peru.
1: Hey all you true crime fans, this is Mike Ferguson
2: and this is Mike Morf
1: We are so excited to talk to our guest today. She has a 30-year career in drag, long before drag was mainstream, of course. You've seen her in film and TV, and she's toured the world with her one-person show. Now a new generation knows her through her amazing YouTube videos, where she has over 9
0: million views. She's a dear friend of mine. I can't wait to talk to her. Please welcome to the program, Miss Coco Peru. Yay!
2: <laughs> Hello, <Yay>! my darlings. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thrilled that you finally asked me. And yes. I, this is like this is going to be basically a free therapy session for me. I yeah, I think. let's do it.
0: fantastic. Yeah. fantastic. Um, I went to see you at the West Beth theater in um New York City years ago In before you moved to Los 90 Angeles something. where you talked about a near-death experience and the people and it's I've never you talked about it in such graphic detail that it was it was it was it was fascinating and terrifying at the same time. Not just for you reliving it on stage, but for us as the audience members. Can you walk us through that?
2: I I don't know why. I well, I know why I did that. Back mm-hmm. then I was just much more experimenting and mm-hmm. I just I've always been fascinated with storytelling and spoken word. And so I I was thinking I wonder how people will receive a story about my accident with some really graphic details that's just spoken word, as opposed to the really graphic stuff we see on television and in film. Mm. And what amazed me was that um, people had a variety of of experiences with that story, from being completely horrified and even angry that I did it, Mm. to other people passing out, this one girl um, had to run out of the room because she got diarrhea. And so I said, I'm going to, I'm going to put that in one of my quotes. I laughed. I cried. I shit in my pants. Um, that was her
0: reaction. But, she, she had diarrhea.
2: Yes. She got diarrhea. And then another, per- and then other people thought it was completely the most beautiful thing they had ever heard because it put them so mm-hmm. in touch with their own life and their own mm-hmm. vulnerability. And they, it took them out of their body in some weird way. So, it was interesting how just a spoken word about something horrifying yeah. could really evolve. and you could I could hear crackling in the yeah. room that mm-hmm. the energy was so intense.
1: Coco, I'm I'm just I'm just curious for those of us who actually don't know the the full story, would you mind sharing us the
2: near death experience? Uh when I was 16, I was getting ready that evening. My parents had gone out for the evening and I was getting into the shower to prepare for a high school production of Oklahoma in which I was playing chorus member. And uh, I somehow either passed out or slipped backwards in the shower and ended up going through a glass shower door. It wasn't the actual door. It was a wraparound thing. And Mm -hmm. I landed on the glass that was sticking up. So I severed two and a half nerves in my left leg and... Then, as I was laying there, the glass started to fall all over. So I was basically wow. cut up. But what was so amazing was that I was lacerated. But I was very fortunate because I found out later that if the glass had been about an inch longer, the one the piece that I landed on, it would have cut my entire leg off. So I was oh very. God. There were so many little things where I got so lucky, and um, so when I stood up, what was amazing was that um, I was looking around the shower, thinking, "Who is screaming like that?" And and I can look back now and say that um, I hear someone. <laughs> I
0: think it's Alex's dog. <laughs> it's my dog. Hold on one second. <laughs>
2: It sounds I knew like, it was, I thought,
1: but I wasn't going to say anything. because
2: I, <laughs> I, I, I hate to say it, but I thought, like, I'm telling this really horrifying story and someone's, like, getting off to it.
1: <laughs> no, it's like, Alex's dog snoring. Someone's let's,
2: totally masturbating while I'm talking about dying. Let's please keep this in the podcast. My dog
0: is fast asleep. I just put a blanket over her. She was oh snoring and I didn't think anybody could hear it. All right. Alex so telling to to my,
2: my, my near-death so. experience, and I'm getting upstaged by a dog. This is the story <laughs> of my life, my <laughs> I darling. Terrible. <know>. <laughs> <dogs. laughs> <laughs> <laughs> anyway, where were we? Blood gore? You, blood gore. Yeah. Who somebody says? was <laughs> screaming. Anyway. so I... Yeah, so who is that screaming? And uh, I was home alone. I had to get to this, I was on the third floor of our home, which was the at- converted attic. And I had to get to the second floor to the phone. And it was when I was at the phone that I knew I was dying. And, uh, and because I was losing so much blood.
0: Yes, and, now um, what, when you're dying, and you said you knew you were dying, was it like an intellectual thing or was it a physical feeling like I am dying?
1: Yeah, good question.
2: I felt it was a physical thing because I could literally feel the life draining out of me. Mm -hmm. I also knew, I knew, I, I, and then the other, it's, it's amazing that, um, this is all upon reflecting upon it. But when I look back, I can see how the mind and the body separated and each were Mm. doing what they needed to do in order to survive. So Mm -hmm. for instance, I was still embarrassed about being found dead naked and wow. so I thought I've got to get to my parents' bedroom to put on a pair of my father's underwear so that when they find me dead, I won't be naked. Like, wow. I was still worried yeah. about that. Yeah. Like, the I had a the social convention. shame back then. Yeah. 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 So I get to my parents' bedroom and they have this big mirror in their bedroom. And I remember looking into the mirror. But in order for my... Uh, body to survive this accident it was in my mind was immediately erasing the reflection so I was looking in the mirror but unable to see my reflection wow. because I think my mind knew that if I saw myself that would be the end yeah and so I got to the front door I managed to open I had called an ambulance and a neighbor and my neighbor tied a tourniquet to around my leg and that's what saved my life. And then I was mm. rushed to the hospital. and was in the hospital that, where I did die from the loss of blood. And um, But they brought me back. You were pronounced and, dead at some point. Well, I don't think they pronounced me dead, but they knew that um, my brother had looked in on me because he was a police officer and they had called him in. And so when he ha- the doctors had stepped out from him and he happened to look in, my eyes had rolled back into my head. So they came rushing back in to bring me back. And so it, I was told that, oh, you, we lost you for a little bit there. You know, that that's mm. the way I was told.
0: I remember yeah. that uh, part of the story is you told it when you said it live that the nurses on the floor referred to you as, oh, you were the boy that died.
2: There was one nurse that was, yeah. um, I think she was from possibly um, the Caribbean and she mm-hmm. was very superstitious and she mm. was very curious that this young kid had this near-death experience. So when I woke up from it, she was sitting by my bedside with a bowl of fruit that she had put together for me. And she was very weird, um, Mm -hmm. but in a beautiful way. And she asked me, tell me what you saw. You know, she wanted Uh to know if I had had seen anything (laughs) during that time I was I, I didn't see anything. I can only describe the experience as I forgot who I was. Mm-hmm. But the only reason I know that I forgot who I was was because I remembered who I was. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm. How so? Like, in what
1: ways did you?
2: Well, I was just experiencing peace mm. and just very present with that peace. And then all of a sudden, as they started to bring me back... I thought, oh, I I know who I, like, I remembered who I was. And I remember thinking, I'm not going back. And then all of a sudden I like opened my eyes. And as soon as I opened my eyes, I think part of that being human, then I immediately was flooded with fear and the will to survive again. But hmm. for that time that I was dead, I didn't have that desire at all. So that would be the only- It sounds to me
0: as if your brain was in survival mode. With the accident and what was happening, like it was doing. It sounds to me as if it was doing everything it could to kind of put some distance between you and the actual physical event. When you said it was like right. who who is that screaming, and and when you say it erased the um, the uh, the reflection in the mirror, it almost sounds as if like what war people, what people who've been in war experience, hysterical blindness. Like what they see is almost right. too painful to look at, and so their body yes. literally goes blind. Have you heard of that, Matthew?
1: Um, I mean, just in general, yes. The way that, the ways that our brains um, cope in a moment where there's actual real trauma, a lot of times is to disassociate, <clears throat> and so then you know having having a bit of a buffer between kind of the reality and then what we're experiencing inside, whether that's like blacking out or whether that's like a, you know experiencing maybe like some kind of euphoria but a disconnect from the physical world, those kinds of things as a way of protecting the the kind of psychological functioning. Did you have
0: as much clarity on this accident after after immediate after it was over while you were recovering in the in the hospital? Did you have this amount of clarity of objective? Like I I I remember the events.
2: No, no. I did I did have. It was very clear. Yes, it was it was so clear to me. And I was and I will say this. The other thing that I remember when I woke up from the surgery to save my leg, I, um, I was so weak and so drained, but I opened my eyes and I could see my parents standing by me and they were just blurry, but I knew who they were. Mm -hmm. And I felt my soul or whatever you want to call it, literally just soar up and out of me. Mm -hmm. And I, and it, and I was, it was as if I was just screaming, I'm alive. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. I realized Mm -hmm. I had made it. You know, yes. yes. And but I couldn't even I was so weak that I couldn't even manage a smile. Mm-hmm. But internally, it was like a party was going on. Mm. And um, that was a, that was amazing, that feeling. Um But I, this is all stuff I process. But what I will say, I said something very strange. That when the doctors referred to while I was in the hospital, they referred to of course, referred to this as my accident. And I blurted out, I don't think it was an accident. And it, I thought, oh, what a weird thing to say. But I felt like something had changed inside of me, and yet I didn't have the words or the knowledge or anything, mm. but I had a sense. Mm-hmm. And I can now look back. And so when I look back at my life, I felt normal as a mm-hmm. young kid. Um, and it was about in kindergarten where I started to realize I was different. Mm-hmm. Um, people now have language for it, non-binary. Um, I didn't have a language for what I was going through.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, no role models. So mm-hmm. I. it was very scary to mm-hmm. feel myself, I'm me, And then all of a sudden, little by little, start to realize that who you are is wrong, it's disappointing people, it's scaring people. And then around second grade is when I started the daily being made fun of. I was Mm -hmm. also always asked, are you a girl or a boy? They could never Mm -hmm. figure me out. And then um, I would say about the fourth grade is when the abuse got really mean Mm -hmm. and where it was no longer a curiosity of like, what, why are you different or what? Now it was just, I was a f- bullied basically. Yeah, it was and to shut you so down. So I would look, f- it, yeah. So I, I decided I was in public school at that time. So I left fifth grade and transferred to Catholic school because I thought the kids there would be nicer because they were Catholic and they were closer to the church. Yes. And my first day at school, I realized I've made a terrible mistake yeah. because they were they were even worse. Uh. And I I um, would figure out different ways to walk to school to try and avoid people that bullied me. And I lost my education. I went from being an A student to barely passing. I could study mm-hmm. for hours and not absorb any information. And my way to survive was to be funny and to live in a complete fantasy world of becoming famous because I thought I think in some weird way, I thought being famous would validate me and yeah. mm-hmm. make me special, and I would show them that I was special yep and uh but the accident was sort of I also had some bad experiences within the church with a certain priest who. I I laugh about it now because it it is truly ridiculous. Can you can you um, tell
0: us that line about in your show the things you were offended by? I wasn't offended that I was
2: I it was that it, basically I had a I I was fooling around experimenting with a boy in my neighborhood mm-hmm. probably when I was about 11 or 12.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And Of course, we were being told that sex is a sin and all. So I had all this stuff about that. And so I went to confession Mm -hmm. and I confessed that I was doing this with this other boy. And the next thing, my mother got a phone call from that priest. And I thought I was he was telling on me because Mm -hmm. I could hear her saying his name. And then she got off the phone was like, this is wonderful. He invited you and your friend to go to the YMCA and you know, <laughs> oh, he had no. bought bathing, he had bought Speedo bathing suits for us because oh our bathing God. suits weren't, you needed to wear special bathing suits to go in this pool. And uh-huh. I, I realized later that the reason they were see-through when they got wet was cause he had cut the lining out of them. <gasps> oh and God. then he, he, he posed us naked and, and in these bathing suits and took photos and, you know, he had an erection and it would brush up against us and just things like that. I mean, it it never got beyond that. But I remember sitting in his car and thinking, I have corrupted this man. My evil sin of being attracted to boys made him behave this way. So this is true. But I forgave him because I I got to a place in my life where I realized... He's probably a victim too. He grew up in a time where he could not be openly gay. Mm. He was probably thought the only way I'll ever succeed is in the priesthood. And his sexuality was arrested at Mm -hmm. a very young age. So of course, who's he going to be attracted to? Other boys that age. Mm -hmm. And so I looked at it as like, I actually had kind of empathy for this man Mm -hmm. and, um, The only thing that makes me laugh is that uh, years later, I was on a cruise and I was talking to this guy and he was saying how from eighth grade throughout high school, he had the most amazing, wonderful sex with his hot Italian gym teacher. Mm. And I was so bitter because I thought I got the fucking ugly priest. (laughs) I'm not so bothered. Yeah. I'm not so bothered that it was yeah. inappropriate. I'm bothered that he was ugly. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, you yeah. know, so. Um, yes. But, you know, you mentioned earlier the detachment from mm-hmm. this. When I did go to therapy in New York years ago, um, my therapist would sit there with like tears in his eyes, listening to me tell stories. Mm-hmm. And I felt absolutely nothing. Yes. I was so detached from, from what I was saying to him. It was like I was a monotone robot, just yeah. rattling off these experiences. Um, but my way of dealing has always been to sort of uh, deal with it through humor and and sort of celebrate the ridiculousness of it, and then try to create a world in which that doesn't happen and try to have real conversations about we create monsters. That, that right. priest that did that to me was not born a monster. Mm. He was created yeah. you know, through homophobia and his own internalized homophobia and his sexuality being arrested. And so all of this stuff that was happening to me, the bullying, not feeling mm. loved, uh, the not being accepted at the church, all this stuff, I realized early on the world is not a safe place. And then my accident really just brought it into my body. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yep. And yet I had this feeling of uh, like I said, it not being an accident because all of a sudden, little by little, and I mean little by little, mm. I started to heal by realizing that I had survived something that a lot of other people would maybe not have. Mm-hmm. And also the kids that still picked on me even after my accident by calling me R2D2 when I was in a wheelchair or mm. calling me the bionic woman when I walked around with my leg brace that I mm. still wear today. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't take it in as much anymore because I realized that I had survived. And yeah. I, the other big thing for me was I realized that as mean as they were to me, I would never wish my accident on them. Mm, and mm. that really was very healing to me. Yeah. Also, my mother told off a priest at school, <laughs> and that was very healing as well. <laughs> I bet. But it, it
0: Good. sounds like... Well,
2: they didn't call me or visit me. Huh. And my, and, and my mother went in, oh. and the priest said, how is he doing? And my mother said, well, he's doing fine, and this and that, but he's disappointed that none of you ever came to visit, and you never even took the time to phone him. He said, well, Clinton, who, that's my real name, Clinton is in our prayers. And my mother looked at him and said, Clinton doesn't need your prayers. He's got enough good people praying for him. And she said, and I know damn well, if it had been one of those boys in those photos you've got behind your desk, who were like the football and basketball uh-huh. yeah. stars in the school. She said, you would have been at that hospital every single day. And she wow. picked up my books and stormed out of that school. Yeah. And then she thought, I'm going to hell. I just told off the priest. <laughs> but yeah. I was thrilled.
1: I was yeah, thrilled, and yeah. my but i was just i was just going to say and like ea mom because like she's actually getting to express the real yeah. anger of that moment yeah. and what's interesting yeah. the kind of note that i want to make about that too is that what you're describing through a lot of not just really difficult times but also traumatic experiences through being bullied like severely bullied just for being who you are for any bit of sexual assault that you've experienced for landing on glass and having a physical trauma that happened these things, as they happen, we find ways of surviving and our brains function in ways where it helps to survive so we can just move through our lives beyond that point. And part of the way that that does that is it starts to kind of create a rift between the different parts of our brains functioning. So. We might not necessarily then have the same level of access to the emotional parts of our functioning, and so that's what helps us kind of function. Like you said, you were able to just kind of move along, and and your mom at one point is even kind of picking up the slack, knowing that that needs to be expressed, and is kind of like charging, you know, at the priest even, and um, and being able to do that. So I so I love all the ways that you're talking about how you've been able to survive. Um, and I'm curious for you in your journey, kind of beyond that point, in what ways have you been able to actually thrive in what ways have you been able to maybe kind of reintegrate the different parts of your brains and the feelings and emotional parts of your processing in life?
0: That's such a good question, Matthew. I love you so much.
2: (laughs) Thank you, Alec. (laughs) (laughs) This is why I love
0: doing the show with him. He's so good. That's such a great question.
2: Yeah. Well, it was a lot to take in. <laughs> yes. Um, and even as you were saying all of that, I felt myself detaching. Isn't that amazing? Oh, Not because I didn't find time. it interesting, but yeah. I think I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. But um, one of the wonderful things is, again, in relation to the accident it was also my dad. And I, he, I knew he loved me, but I didn't necessarily get along with him all that mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I kissed him goodnight every night. I kissed both my parents, you know, but I was just different. Mm-hmm. And when I had the accident, my father started to become a father again. Now, my mm. parents had lost a child when I was three months old. My sister, Kathy, died when she was 15. Mm. And so this was traumatic for them because I was around the same age when she died. They thought oh, they were golly. losing another child. Oh, wow. So when I survived it, they really became... We became more like a family again. It sounded of, like you became, uh, you, just, they just were aware of how support. precious.
0: Yeah, it sounded like yeah. they, that the almost losing you reminded them of how precious you were. And it, it in right. turn kind of it, it made them more advocates on your behalf. They saw the value of your yeah. life in, in ways that they hadn't before. And you told an interesting thing on stage when you finally put on the, um, the, your wig as Miss Coco they had an experience looking at you. Can you tell us about that?
2: Oh yeah, they. I showed them me for the first time as Coco, which they were both like, oh, you know, At that by that point they were like, it figures, you know, cause I was always carrying on and being silly. So <laughs> I showed them myself as Coco and they both were kind of horrified and shocked and mm. saying like, oh my God, holy shit. And I thought they were a bit freaked out that I was wearing women's clothes. Mm-hmm. And it, that's not what happened. They find. My mother said, "Oh my God, you look just like your dead sister's ghost."
1: <laughs> <laughs> what? So,
0: wow! Isn't that trippy, wow. Matthew? That yeah. is yeah, trippy. Very, I didn't
1: trippy. know. I didn't know. I didn't know whether to laugh or to, to give a horrified <laughs> yeah. response because I felt so yeah. many things <laughs> in that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. Miss Coco. She she makes you laugh and she horrifies you at the same time.
1: <laughs> at the same
0: time.
2: Here's here's <laughs> yeah. the thing I love about but, you, Coco.
0: Uh, let me let me say one really. You yeah. know, it's like so much of your comedy is really about. You have this recurring, um, uh, 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 punchline where you say "am" in your solo shows, where you say "am," but am I bitter? Absolutely. Yeah. And it always gets a huge <laughs> laugh. But the, but the truest thing about you in, in, in our conversation today is that you do have so much forgiveness in your soul mm-hmm. as a part of who you are yes. in order to move on. What I'm hearing a lot of today and what empowers you and is, is really inspiring is the amount of forgiveness you have for the people who have you know, abused you and, and made your life difficult.
2: Yeah. I think when you have a, when you live authentically Mm -hmm. and as I created Coco and Coco was like the biggest healing thing I could have ever done for myself because I just decided to embrace everything I'd been taught to hate about myself and just Mm -hmm. celebrate it. And Mm -hmm. once I felt that liberation and once I felt like I was a two spirited person and Mm -hmm. now we have the, the word non-binary, but once I could accept all of that about myself and it, I found my voice again and putting on mm. women's clothes but still acknowledging that I'm male just rooted me and I felt powerful for the first time in my life and I realized I could walk around with my head held high mm. and that sort of liberation was something that I wanted every LGBT kid to experience. I didn't want them to have to go through the shame and the everything. So that's when I decided I'm gonna be this two-spirited modern day drag queen who's gonna save the world. You know, that was my ridiculous kind of mission statement at the beginning. But truly, yeah. I that was it. And so when you live authentically, you have and you feel liberated and you feel blessed. Uh, holding resentment against people uh, doesn't help you. What helps mm-hmm. you is pushing forward and creating the change, creating the world that you want to live in and that you want to see for future generations. And I do yeah. just want to also mention that, although I may seem whatever, what you just said, like I also mm-hmm. two years ago uh, decided to put myself on Lexapro mm-hmm. and I, I'm just curious, Matt. I had read somewhere, and I don't know if you ever read this, but that people who have near-death experiences often come back with a very um, this th- that justice is very important to them, and that mm-hmm. seeing an injustice, it, it just literally I become obsessed. I I feel like this hole in my chest, and yeah. so what happened was um, I'm very sensitive to litter and how we treat the earth, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I was on a beach in Spain, mm-hmm. and two young people threw cigarette butts into the Mediterranean, Uh-oh. and I went there. I lost it. <laughs> and my husband was so mortified, <laughs> he said, you need help. You, yeah. you can't live like this. Also, as a performer, our job, Alec, you know, is to make other people feel what we feel. Yes. yes. So, I make everybody around me feel what I'm feeling. And twenty yeah. that 24 seven, I think can be quite intense for the people we love. And so my doctor explained it beautifully. He said, artists, most people live here, like mm-hmm. in this middle ground mm-hmm. and artists have these highs and these lows, which are wonderful because they give the rest of us who don't know those, they you give us a glimpse into, yes. into that mm-hmm. world. He yes. said, but we're just gonna pull it down, up and down a little bit, We don't want you to lose all of that, but we also don't want you suffering.
1: And so I
2: decided for the sake of my marriage, really, and and here's the thing, I thought I was completely normal. I Mm -hmm. still think in many ways my behavior is normal for me. Mm -hmm. And I'm often outraged that other people aren't as outraged as I am about the injustices in the world. But at the same time, I somehow needed to not be so consumed by it that it you know, totally. it affected everyone else around me. Well,
1: Coco, let me just say this, too, because I, it does make sense. The, the intensity of feeling that you have is absolutely normal and totally justified and does make sense. Maybe sometimes there are certain ways that we kind of like over exaggerate certain things that are going on outside of us. But especially when we've had a long history in our lives of trauma and we've had to dissociate more from the emotional stuff that we might be feeling within us, we then can project out and process a lot of what we're feeling on what's going on outside of ourselves because it feels safer. So when we're seeing people litter mm-hmm. and the injustices of the world, it's not just you know anger, it's rage because we haven't been able to process a lot within ourselves of what's <sighs> going on. So that makes sense. Oh, that makes
2: perfect sense. That makes so much sense, Matt. And in fact, years ago, I, I started my show off wearing a hat that had an emblem on it that said rage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Because that's what I felt yes. so much. Yes, you know, absolute but I, I, rage. I think the theater, the theater is a wonderful place to be able to address that yeah. rage, have a good laugh about mm-hmm. it. And I often do feel much more, I, I feel more um, elevated as Coco than I do as myself. I feel like mm-hmm. I'm more evolved as Coco than actually myself.
0: I love when you said, um, I felt normal. Because I was, I've been on Lexapro for about three years. When I was talking to my psychiatrist, there was a certain level of despair and hopelessness that I had mm. learned to live with. That I knew that at some point during the year, I was going to have six weeks where I felt like everything was hopeless and I was going to give up. Absolute mm-hmm. despair. But what was happening to me was those, those moments of despair were getting closer and closer together. Like it wasn't just like over oh, in the future. It was like, it was becoming a regular thing. And so, um, I, and, and I and I didn't take meds for a long time because I thought that's just how I was supposed to feel. But now I feel everything. I feel all my emotions. I'm not numbed out. I I feel sad, but it doesn't go to hopelessness. That's the
2: biggest difference for me. Mm-hmm. Right. That's, that's exactly my experience now. And um, I've often felt as though, I look at people who have children Mm -hmm. like you, Alec. Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, Matt, but, Mm -mm. and, um, I think I don't have children and yet I sometimes care more about this planet and what I'm leaving the future Mm -hmm. generation Mm -hmm. than what I witness around me often. And I guess that's when I start to feel hopeless Mm. is that, um, when you don't feel like other people care as much as you do. Uh, I know. Thank God, thank God for Lexapro because it has made me be able to function and still celebrate um, this journey that we're on rather than just feel like, oh, why bother?
0: Well, personally, I can tell you Based on my own experience of you and, you know, because I knew you as a performer first and then we became friends. But there were things you said on stage when I saw you in the 90s that have stayed with me where it was like when you said um, you have to um, embrace the things you were taught to hate about yourself. That was a huge light bulb moment for me as a queer person. Great. It's kind of, we're always running away from that. We're always running away from the shame. And then when I finally, when you finally look at the things and you see that there's nothing to be ashamed of, I'm not so bad, then it's like, (laughs) it's life changing. So, and I've also seen the people, the audiences filing out of your shows. They're so happy. You elevate people. So when you're feeling sad about those things, know that you have made an enormous difference.
2: Well, thank you. And that, that has been the best part of YouTube is that I've reached this whole new generation of people who love that. I, I don't care what other people think of me when I'm walking through a Kmart because I am, I may not fit in, but I'm owning my right to be there and young people love it yeah. and they see like you know they ask can can i call you aunt Coco? can i call you grandma it's because they are looking for role models of people who live authentically mm-hmm. yeah and that includes the good and the bad of me honestly yeah
1: all of it because it's all of it that we want to accept we don't want conditional love we want the unconditional love for all of the parts of what makes us human but I have to say this before we wrap up for our show because as you know especially as we're talking about some of the things that maybe young people today have said to you but when I came out, I came out in 1999, which is exactly when Trick came out. And so I got to see that movie, I got to see you in that movie, and anytime that I'm hearing anybody talk about come in their eyes, I always think of you and how much <laughs> it burns. And, uh, and I just have to say, it's kind of like, you are for sure like one person one image that comes to mind at the very start of my coming out so you were very much that to me you very much embody kind of that moment in my life so i just want to say thank you for that because that was such a huge moment for me too
2: thank Aww. you Matt. That, that is exactly uh what uh, you know i i achieved my goal then is, there you is go all i can well, say well we always yes. wrap up the show with a hot message
0: from our guest and it, when you're talking about young people today Um, Do you have do you have a particular message to young people that they you feel like they need to hear right now to young queer people?
2: Yes. Um, One of the things that I find uh, is that when I go, for instance, to Starbucks dressed as Coco, I will say most of the people are nice to me. Some guys flirt with me. People engage in conversations with me that I never would have had. And so I tell young people there's a couple of things I tell young people is that living outside the box is where the magic happens mm. mm-hmm.
0: and that you get
2: to create you get to create your life not yeah. all these roles that society set up for you so step out of the box and really discover who you are yeah. always make your goals bigger than your fears yes yes and when someone looks at me and says uh here's your coffee sir <laughs> I I don't take it in. <laughs> I think how sad that they had to do that. That says something more about themselves. Mm. And I notice a lot of young people get, sometimes feel victimized if people don't, you know, choose not to call them by their proper pronoun or mm. choose Mr. to, you know, like yeah. we can yeah. we, we can request that of people, but if they feel as though they want to be mean to us, all I can say is, That's their problem. Mm -hmm. Don't take it in. And you don't have to change those people. Focus on yourself. Don't let those people have power over you. Mm -hmm. Don't let them victimize you. Just forgive them and say Mm -hmm. they must be very sad that they can't find it in their heart to have some sort of just human relation with me. And so that's the way I deal with the mean people.
0: See, oh, a word. she's the drag queen that. is going to save the world. Where I can people that. find you? Where can people find you on your oh. socials, Coco?
2: CocoPeru.com is my website. And then, of course, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I haven't started TikTok yet, but who knows?
1: <laughs> what's your What's your handle? What's your handle on those socials? Uh, Miss Coco Peru. Oh, Easy peasy. Yes, Coco Peru. Thank you so much
0: for being on the program today. Thank I you, love Coco. You. And I'm so sorry my you. dog um, snored through your uh, near death experience. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's all right. Nothing I, personal.
2: Um, She's I an forgive animal. your dog. I'm not <laughs> taking it personally. <laughs> there you go. Love
1: it. <laughs> love bitch. you. I'll okay. talk <laughs> to you soon.
0: <laughs>
2: bitch. Bye. Bye, Coco.
1: Bye.
0: What a great show, Matthew.
1: Such a great show. I loved it. Yeah.
0: It's it's so great seeing you. This was like I you know, it's we've both been busy and we've we've had to skip a couple weeks, so it's it's yeah. a real treat for me to have some face time with you. What what's yes. your hot message? What's your takeaway from this day?
1: Well, I think I just kind of want to I just want to say this, almost a little bit of a PSA for trauma is it's a lot more common um, than I think m- A lot of people might uh, assume because it's not really talked about too much because it seems like a very heavy thing. But just know that if you are experiencing any trauma or have experienced any trauma, you are absolutely not alone. And there's tons of um, uh, treatments for it and very specific trauma treatments for it. Um, that can help us kind of reprocess, reprocess a bit of some of the things that we, for because of survival, needed to detach from, um, but so that we can find a little bit more of a flow and we can still um, kind of go out into the world and feel the magic, as Coco says, and uh, bring it back to the people.
0: That's great. My message is um, it, it, it's not normal to feel despair all the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's, there's an alternative to it, and mm-hmm. it doesn't make you weak to get help. If you advocate for yourself that you deserve a life where you're not feeling those feelings at all, where if, uh, if you're advocating for yourself that you want to feel joy, you want yes. to feel greater energy, that's perfectly yes. all right. Totally. My big boy, my big sturdy boy who can get hit by a car and survive, where can people <laughs> find you on your socials?
1: You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at MJ Dempsey Psych and Facebook, Matthew J Dempsey Psychotherapy.
0: I felt like you were about to say something that I catch you I was off? just going to say only
1: no because only you said it's it's not normal to you know to be feeling a lot of the mm-hmm. whatever you said mm-hmm. um, and I it's such a nuanced thing but I feel like I have to say it it is normal for a lot of people to be feeling those things all the time and it, there it, it is It is normal, meaning it's common, and a lot of yes. people do struggle yes. with these things, and also there are opportunities to be able to process through that and, and get support and help so that that does not have to be your normal.
0: Okay, so by saying normal, I'm like, if you feel sad all the time, you're a fucking weirdo. <laughs> right.
1: Well, but yes, because then you're implying to something abnormal, and I know you didn't mean that, but, you know. I didn't,
0: listen, listen. Words are important. I'll, sad people out there, <laughs> sadness is normal, but I was feeling yes. so sad all the time hopelessness all the time that I needed help. So um, I'm not normal. So, uh, <laughs> no, you are normal And there's hope for everybody yes. And there's hope for everybody You can find me at Alec Mappa <laughs> On um, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook And you can find us both At Stage 29 Podcasts on, on Instagram and the Twitter We love hearing from you And for those of you who have written in to us Thank you so much for listening We're so grateful that you tune in And mm-hmm. that our audience is growing week after week after week um, uh, Tune in mm-hmm. next week For more Hot fun. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Bye,
1: Bye, guys. This podcast has been produced by Stage 29 Productions for entertainment purposes only. The contents of this podcast does not constitute medical or professional advice, do not reflect the opinions of this company, any of its parent companies, affiliates, subsidiaries, promotional sponsors, or advertising agencies. The views expressed by the hosts and guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. For more information, please go to stage29.tv.